just a moment with our praise and our worship. Can you all just, with the fruit of your mouth, open up your mouth and give God glory. Come on, all over this building, just open up your mouth and worship him for just a moment. The spirit of the Lord is here and it is so sweet and I just want to honor him just for a moment. Hallelujah. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We magnify you. We glorify your name. Hallelujah. For you are God and God alone. Hallelujah. For there is none beside you. None came before you and none is coming after you. For you are God. And we give you the highest praise. We give you the highest praise. We say hallelujah. We, your creation, we cry out and we say that you are worthy of all of our praise. And so, Father, in these next few moments, would you fill this space? what only you can, your power, your glory, your spirit, your power, your anointing. Would you move, Father, in a way that we, your people, are in need of? You know the conditions of your people. You know what they came in here with, Father, and I pray in the name of Jesus that you would move, that you would saturate this atmosphere, that your glory would permeate every situation and every circumstance that no person that entered into this place will leave the same way they came. But I thank you now for transformation. I thank you now for heart change. I thank you now for mind change. I thank you now for circumstance and situation change. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you that you are doing a work in this moment and throughout the rest of this service, Father, that people will talk about from the days to come. And I declare that in the name of Jesus. I plead the blood of Jesus over this space, and I declare that no weapon formed shall prosper. I declare that we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. I declare that we have the victory. And so, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. For you are my strength, and you are my redeemer. In Jesus' name. Come on, put your hands together and celebrate God. God is good, isn't he? Oh, he's so good. He is so good. Uh, this weekend, I found myself camping. I don't know why I did that. Um, I was out in the wilderness somewhere, and uh, the people that I were with, they convinced me to climb up a big rock. And on my climb up, I hit my knee and bruised my knee. And the, the, the thought that I had after I, you know, pouted a little bit and said, why would you make me do this? The thought that I had is that I'm getting a little bit too old to be adventurous. But I thank God because the Lord, he, he leads us in adventure. Um, the Lord journeying with him often allows or um, creates circumstances and situations in which we cannot anticipate what will happen. Um, but he is faithful to journey with us. Can I get a witness? Amen. Anybody know that about God? And so we're back in math this week, right, um, unexpectedly, but thank God that we are here. Um, if you are worshiping with us and you are not a member of Antioch, if you are joining us for the first time or perhaps you've been hanging out with us for a while, on behalf of our pastors, Pastor Wayne and Pastor Maisha Chaney, we'd like to say thank you. Thank you for choosing to worship with us today. There's a word from the Lord, um, if you would quickly turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. We honor our pastors in their absence, Pastor Wayne and Lady Mai. Can we just celebrate the awesome leaders and visionaries that we have? The Gospel 
of Luke chapter 6, beginning at the 6th verse. Such a privilege that we get to sit in scripture together. The gospel of Luke chapter 6. It is customary that we stand for the reading of scripture, and so if you would stand with us. Hear the word of the Lord in the gospel of Luke chapter 6, beginning at the 6th verse. On another Sabbath, he, Jesus, entered the synagogue and taught. And there was a man there whose right hand was withered. The scribes and the Pharisees watched him, Jesus, to see whether he would cure on the Sabbath, so that they might find an accusation against him. Even though he, Jesus, knew what they were thinking, he, he said to the man who had the withered hand, come and stand here. So this man, he got up and he stood there. And then Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at all of them, Jesus said to the man with the withered hand, Stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored. But they, the scribes and the Pharisees, were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. You all may take your seats in the presence of the Lord. I'd like to take the next few moments of our time together to talk to you all about the things that wither. This concept of withering is most easily understood as it relates to nature. As the Bible declares, grass withers, flowers wither, and even trees wither. It is to become dry and shriveled, to cease from flourishing, to fall into decay or decline. This is a process that many of us have seen, witnessed, or observed. In the rose bush in our yard, or the orchid in our living room, or perhaps the bouquet of lilies gifted for an anniversary, botanists would suggest that this process of withering is the result of a lack of balance between the things that are necessary for the thriving of these plants. Too little or too much water. Too little or too much space. Too little or too much light. And if I can interpret these findings for us for just a moment, I would suggest people of God that plants often wither when they are in environments that are no longer hospitable. When conditions that once allowed the plant to bud, sprout, and blossom are incongruent with what is now needed for the plant to be sustained. And with every season, I, I mean stage of plant life, it is necessary to reassess and reevaluate what is now needed for the plant to be sustained. And isn't it interesting, people of God, that 
that which is readily seen and clearly observed in the life of a plant is often completely missed in our own lives. The signs of a withering plant prompt us to add water or increase sun exposure, and yet the signs in our own lives. The signs that would suggest that aspects of our lives that were once thriving and full of vitality are no longer flourishing. The signs that we're becoming dry. The signs that indicate a slow decline or abrupt decay of creativity, energy, and ingenuity strangely do not prompt us to reassess the condition of our lives. We are not prompted to consider ways of restoring balance to our lives. Instead, we convince ourselves that if we work harder or ignore the signs altogether, things will eventually get better. And we wake up one day with withered purpose. We wake up one day with withered relationships. We wake up one day with withered hopes and expectations and with withered dreams and visions because we've allowed inhospitable conditions. We've allowed imbalanced conditions. We've allowed conditions that were once fruitful to remain in our lives past their expiration. And when we come to our text this morning, the Gospel of Luke chapter 6 tells the story, not of withered grass, not of withered flowers, nor of withered trees, but Luke chapter 6 tells the story of a man with a withered hand. The Bible does not say that his hand was withering. The Bible says that his hand was withered. In other words, his, his hand was not in the process of withering. His hand had withered, meaning his hand had completed the process of withering and was now completely withered. This this is interesting to me, people of God, because it would suggest that the human condition is set up in such a way that the distractions that adorn our lives are set up in such a way that the hustle and bustle of life is set up in such a way that we can be withering and not even know it. That, that our lives can begin a steady decline without our permission or our awareness. And we thought our lives would be more successful. We feel frustration every time we look at last year's vision board. We feel the discontent in our relationships and family dynamics. We're tired of the monotony of life where you wake up to do today what you did yesterday. Life feels like a treadmill where you're exerting energy without making any progress. And you, you've started to wonder whether the dreams that were once so vivid will ever become a reality. You've started to wonder whether the trauma of your past will ever be used to bring God glory. 
you started to wonder whether your relationship with disappointment will ever be severed. But just like the man in the text, it doesn't matter how withered aspects of your life may be. Many of you pressed your way to get to the house of God this morning because there's something inside of you that knows there's got to be more to life than what you've been experiencing. The Bible declares there is a man with a withered hand and he's in the I gotta slow down a bit so that I can set the scene for us. Is that all right? I, if, if I can paint the picture for us all for just the moment, the the synagogue was not the temple. It it was not the primary place of worship that it would one day become. But at this moment in time, the synagogue was a place of gathering, where where people present could could reason over. The scripture, there, there was often a teacher or, or someone who would take the floor and orate the religious writings. There, there was a congregation or a community of Jews who were the recipients of that message. This, this setting in no way resembled our current present day church where there is a preacher who shares a word and the congregation sits receiving that word. No, in this context, there was space and permission to ask questions and to actually reason over the scriptures. If, if I can park here for just a moment, this is important to note because when Jesus asked the question, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath to save life or to destroy it, Jesus was not asking a rhetorical question. Meaning Jesus was not asking a question without the expectation of a response, but he was inviting the community to engage in dialogue. So when his question was met with silence, that silence was lasting. I know we spend a lot of time talking about the methods of communication. But how many of you know that silence is a form of communication? I know we talk about perfecting our strategies of communications, but we often fail to acknowledge that silence is a form of communication. It, it is not just our words that causes breaches in relationships, but it is often the absence of words that causes relationships to fall apart. And and I've learned, people of God, that what I don't say is just as important as what I do say because silence is powerful. And the silence that was in that room as Jesus asked that question was an expression of an unwillingness to enter into conversation around that topic. We don't question the Sabbath. You'll have to forgive me this morning, people of God, because I've reached a place in my own spiritual development where I have become comfortable asking good questions. I know they told us growing up that you don't question God. I, I know, you know, when we ask certain questions, we were told not to ask certain questions, but, but I believe that the Christian faith 
on which I base my eternal security is solid enough to handle the finite reasoning of my mind. And if I've got enough faith to believe God can resurrect the dead and wrap mortal bodies in immortality on the day of the return of Jesus Christ, then I've got to believe that God can handle my questions. And, and some of you have been asking God some questions. You, you've been questioning your past. You've been questioning your present. You've been questioning whether the future God promised you will ever become a reality. And you've allowed people, people with incomplete theologies to convince you that you can't ask God questions. But how can God be intelligent enough to design the universe? How can God be powerful enough to redeem creation? How can God be compassionate enough to walk amongst us and be intimidated by my questions? Listen, I don't know about your theology this morning, but my theology tells me that my questions are not too big for God. I, I, I don't know what your God image is, but I believe that we don't serve a narcissistic God with a fragile ego, but we serve a confident God who said in the book of Malachi, try me. Yeah, that, that's what he said. He said, just in case you doubt my power, try me. Just in case you doubt my promises, try me. Just in case you doubt my ability to do what I said I would do, try me and see if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings that you don't have room enough to receive. I got to get back to the text, but, but you see, it is actually our questions that engage our faith and provide space and opportunity for our faith to be solidified. And so in this synagogue, on this Sabbath day, we have Jesus teaching and we have a congregation, a community of Jews that is made up of scribes. Pharisees and a man with a withered hand. Oh, isn't it interesting how life will often throw us into rooms that we don't belong in? I mean, I mean, just the composition of the people who were in that room is powerful. We, we have Jesus, the Christ, the son of the living God, the God made flesh. We have the scribes and the Pharisees, the upholders of the religious law, the prominent of society. And we have a man with a withered hand. You, you see, I love this part of the passage. I, I really do, y'all. I love this part of the passage because it encourages me. It, it, it encourages me, people of God, because I've been in rooms I didn't belong in. I, I've sat at tables that I didn't believe I was prepared to sit at. I, 
I've stood on platforms that people didn't believe I deserved, and I allowed my insecurities and the intimidation of the people around me to prevent me from showing up fully to the spaces that I was called in. And what I love about the man with the withered hand is that by societal standards, he did not belong, but he was still in the room. And I don't know about you all, but when I walked out of 2020 and came into 2021, I made a commitment to myself. I had to look myself in the mirror and tell myself, I don't care what they look like. I don't care what they have. I don't care whether I fit in or belong. As long as I have an invitation, I'm showing up in the room. Is there anybody in here like me this morning who said, I'm tired of shrinking when I get into certain spaces? I'm tired of not allowing the full expressions of my gift and my identity to be seen. But if God leads me into a space, I'm going to show up fully. Yeah, it's version 2.0 in this year. It's version 2.0 in 2021 where I'm going to show up fully, fully engaged, fully present, and fully empowered to do everything that God called me to do. This man is in a room with powerful people and his symbol of power has withered. He's in a room with people who have purpose and ability and place and his symbol of purpose has withered. His, his symbol of ability has withered. His, his symbol uh, uh, of, of significance has, has withered. The very thing that would give him place in society, the very thing that would substantiate his contributions to the community has withered. This man likely wasn't sitting with the scribes and the Pharisees. No, he was likely somewhere in the back of the room with withered purpose. He was likely somewhere in the back of the room with withered power and withered ability and withered place. Is there anybody in here this morning who would say, it doesn't matter if I've got to sit in the back of the room, I'm going to show up in the room. So Jesus sees this man with the withered hand in the back of the room. And he tips the balance. He, he turns the societal norms on their head and he speaks to the one in the margins. He, he speaks to the one who would appear to have no value. He, he speaks to the one who would appear to have no purpose. He speaks to the one who would appear to have no significance to society. And he says, you in the back of the room, come and stand here. Oh. Uh, see, I need you to understand the significance of what Jesus was commanding because the Bible says that along with Jesus and the man with the withered hand, there was also scribes and Pharisees. Oh, I need you to understand who the scribes and the Pharisees were. In, in other words, in order for the man with the withered hand to get to Jesus, he had to go through the scribes, the, the, the scribes were the record keepers. The, the scribes were the people who were adept at keeping track of folks' histories. He, he, he had to go through the scribes, but he also had to go through the Pharisees. Y'all know about Pharisees. The Pharisees 
were the self-righteous. The Pharisees were the pious. The the Pharisees, in other words, were your modern-day hypocrites. And so in order for the man with the withered hand to get to Jesus, he had to go through record keepers and hypocrites. Uh, Y'all not coming with me this morning. Let me see if I can say it another way. In order for the man with the withered hand to get to Jesus, he had to go through people who knew his history and people who had a false appearance of goodness. And I don't know about y'all, but I've had to go through my share of scribes and Pharisees. And it is at this point of the text that I become a bit uneasy because Jesus is calling this man to center stage and his hand is still withered. Oh, if I was that man in the text, I would tell Jesus, can you at least restore my hand before I stand in front of the very people who ostracized me? Can can you at least heal me before I stand in front of the people who didn't accept me? Can, Can you at least do a work in me before I get to the stage? But here's a word for somebody this morning. God sent me to tell somebody that he's getting ready to use you withered hand and all. Yeah, he said, I know they assumed you were too broken to be useful. I I know they assumed you were too carnal to be anointed. I I know they assumed you were too damaged to be used, but I see you in the back of the room. I see you on the outskirts of the community. I see you in your obscurity, and I say, come, 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 come and stand here. Oh, my God, can you imagine, can you imagine what that must have been like for the man who had been displaced by his community to have the Messiah see him and speak to him and tell him to stand before the very people who displaced him? Can can you imagine him making his way through the crowd for no other reason but because the Messiah called him? Can you imagine the thoughts that must have crossed this? man's mind. What will they think of me? How will they look at me? What will they do to me? Can you imagine the courage that was required for this man to make his way to the one who called him? Oh my God, I'm getting a little excited here, y'all, because this is where we encounter the radical Jesus. This is where we encounter the countercultural Jesus. This is where we encounter the revolutionary Jesus who did not care that the scribes and Pharisees were testing him, but he breaks away from the societal norms of the time to make the least of these the greatest among us. I wish there was somebody in the back of the room who believed God called them to the front. Come and stand here. Yeah, he says, I don't care what people around you think about you. He he says, I don't even care what you think about yourself. I called you. Come, 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 come. Somebody's getting ready to step into their calling. Somebody's getting ready to step out of the shadows and to finally mount the stage. Somebody's getting ready to finally assume their God-given platform. Come. 
powerful to me because it tells us how passionate Jesus is for the ones who are in the margins, that he will interrupt his sermon to speak to the person in the back of the room. And isn't this what happened for many of us when we came to faith? I can remember that little 16-year-old girl who grew up in church. She had a great family, but yet she felt unlovable, unseen, unknown. That, that little girl who, who thought her existence meant nothing, which meant her absence would mean nothing. And she sat up in her bed one night. She picked up her King James Version of the Bible and she started thumbing through it and she turned the page, page after page until she landed in the book of Matthew chapter 1. And she read chapter after chapter in one night as tears were streaming down her face because the gospel became alive to her in that moment as she realized that she might have felt unlovable, but God was calling her. She might have felt unseen, but God was calling her. She might have felt unknown, but God was calling her. And the mere fact that God was calling her meant that she was loved, she was seen, and she had been known before the foundations of the world. I didn't know that little 16-year-old girl would preach her first sermon the next year that would set her on a trajectory to this very moment, come, come and stand here. I got to wrap this up, but Jesus, Jesus didn't just call the man, but when the man got to Jesus, Jesus tells the man, stretch out your hand. You mean? You mean you want me to stretch out my hand, Jesus? Yeah, yeah. Stretch out. Stretch out your hand. You, you, you want me to stretch out my, my withered hand, Jesus? Yeah, yeah. Stretch out your hand. You, you mean you want me to stretch out my, my dried up hand, Jesus? Yeah, stretch out your hand. You, you want me to stretch out my paralyzed hand? Yeah, stretch out your hand. You see, I love this part of the text because Jesus tells him to stretch out the hand that was probably hidden under his garment because of the shame it caused him. The hand that reminded him of how different he was from the people around him. Jesus tells him to stretch out the very thing he's ashamed of. He says, I know you want to wear that mask, but that mask ain't going to come with you to this stage. He, he says, stretch out the very thing that you've been trying to hide. Stretch out the very thing that you've been trying to conceal. Stretch out the very thing that makes you different from the people around you. And what this part of the text tells me, people of God, is that God does not always clean us up in the margins. God doesn't always heal us in the back of the room, but sometimes the calling precedes the deliverance. Sometimes the stage precedes the healing. Sometimes the open door precedes the restoration. And if you're brave enough to stretch out that shameful thing, he says, I'll restore it. Yeah, if you're courageous enough to come center stage, he says, I'll, I'll, even if you don't feel like you're ready, I'll, I'll do something miraculous in your midst, even in front. 
you thought would disqualify you, that, that story that you've never told, stretch out, stretch out your hand. You've been struggling with your anger, but that's not too big for God. He says, stretch out your hand. You've been struggling with depression. You, you put on a good face, but you cry yourself asleep almost every night. He says, that's not too big for God. Stretch out, stretch out your hand. Some of you are having a hard time with this message because you have the fear that if you stretch out your hand, God won't do anything with it. But God sent me to tell somebody that I know is scary, but I promise you that if you would stretch out your hand, you will be just like this man in the text with the withered hand. All he's looking for is the faith of stretching out. And if you would stretch out, God would do the rest. Jesus doesn't just tell the man to stretch out your hand. He doesn't just tell the man to come. But he says, come and stand here. He says, he says come and stand here. Meaning, there is a place for you here. I know you're sitting in the back of the room. I know, I know you're on the margins of the community. I know you feel like you don't have a voice. I know you feel like you may not have much to offer. You see the gifts and the talents of all the people around you, and you immediately minimize your own self in your own eyes. I know, but he says there's place for you here. In fact, he says, I'm going to make space for you here. Listen, there's something that's happening in the spirit. I, I, I truly do believe that God is making space. He's, he's making space for some people who, who haven't learned that they actually can take up space. He's, he's making space for some people who, who rather than allowing their voices to be heard loudly, they, they talk with a whisper. He's, he's making some space for some people who have been counted out, discounted. You have power, you, you do have ability, you do have purpose because you're standing next to the one who has been given all power in the heavens and on the earth. He says, you're standing next to the one who is the writer of destiny. Oh, yeah, he says, you're standing next to the one who is the originator of purpose. You're, you're standing next to the one who can empower you to do all things. Whatever might be withered in your life is nothing in the hands of the God who called you. Come and stand here. I'm going to pray for us in just a moment, but there's one more significant part of this text. And it's the fact that the healing occurred on the Sabbath, the day of rest. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been in a series on rest, and if you haven't seen any of those sermons, I want to encourage you to go and watch them. But here's what's striking about this passage. Here's what's striking about this man's journey to restoration. He didn't have to do nothing. He didn't have to, to exert much effort. He didn't have to work harder. 
the person who worked for this man's healing was Jesus. And I wish somebody in here understood the story of Jesus. You know the story of Jesus and how he came and inhabited human flesh and walked amongst us so that he can reconcile us into right relationship with the Father. You know the story of Jesus that says that he was bruised for our iniquities and he was, that the chastisement of our peace was placed upon him and that by his stripes we were healed. I came to tell somebody that Jesus already did the work. Jesus has already done the work for your healing. He's already done the work for your restoration. He's already done the work for your deliverance. He's already done the work for your breakthrough. He's already done the work for your victory. He's already done the work for the reconciling of your family. He's already done the work for the healing of your marriage. He's already done the work for the healing of your body. He's already done the work for your provision. He's already done the work. He's Yeah. 
thank you for these moments we've gotten to share together in community. God, I thank you for the releasing of your word. I thank you for your word that is sharp, it's piercing, sharper than any two-edged sword. God, your word that your word that is alive, your word that, that when it is released, it accomplishes that for which it was sent. I thank you that every word that was spoken, that it is going to work and on the people's behalf. I thank you, God, that faith has been stirred up, that hope has been stirred up, that you have started to speak to some things that perhaps hasn't been spoken to in some time. God, and so we release our faith that says you're going to do it. You're going to do it. You're going to bring breakthrough and transformation. God, you're going to do what we cannot do on our own. Father, we surrender our efforts. We surrender our work. We surrender. And we ask that you, that you, Father, would work on our behalf. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you are here this morning. Some of you are here and you do not know the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior. If that is you, I want to encourage you to make that commitment today. God wants to journey with you. He wants to do life with you. He wants to give you that deep peace and that reassurance that he's got you. And if that's you and you want to make the decision today to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there will be prayer counselors here at the front at the end of service. And I want to encourage you to come to one of those prayer counselors and say, hey, I want to accept Jesus. Others of you are saying, you know what, so much in this sermon resonated with me, and I just need someone who will touch and agree. You know, there's, there's power in numbers. There's, there's power in numbers, right? And so maybe you need someone who will just touch and pray for you, to agree with you in prayer. And if that's you, there will be prayer counselors here as well at the end of service who would love to be able to lift those prayer requests up on your behalf. Can we celebrate God for the work that he's doing in our lives? A minister is coming right now to lead us in our time of giving. 